these monologue format podcasts because uh, I had stopped doing therapy. And uh, the therapy that I was going to was uh, dialectical behavior, behavioral therapy. You know, fancy name for just regular talk therapy. You talk to a guy and it was over the phone. And, you know, it was always too much money for what it actually was, which was, you know, he, he did fine. He was what I needed at the time, but he wasn't like, um, he was he was more just this sort of neutral party. And he wasn't even in front of me. He was a voice over the phone as well. I mean, he was, you know, not to denigrate him, he definitely helped me out. So uh, I he was there when I needed him, especially uh, when I was really suicidal, um... he was the exact type of guy I needed, which was a guy who was saying, you know, you're not such a piece of shit, right? You know, it seems like you're working through your problems. Uh, You're a type of person. Uh, You're not so bad, you know? And that was sort of the main thing that was driving my self-hatred, which which was this uh, feeling that because I had not achieved certain benchmarks in life or because... I wasn't, uh, you know, good. You know, there's just something about me that was bad, that was lazy or selfish or terrible or incapable of improvement in any way because I was lazy and selfish and terrible. And then, you know, of course that's not true. You know, only... We want to be misanthropic, but only very few people are, like, truly incapable of self-improvement, I think. In my life, I think, you know, you tend to you tend to pay attention to the ones who are like really messed up. But I, I, I've, I think most people I've met are conscientious or interested in trying to get better in some way, whether it's even in a shallow way, like trying to make a lot of money or whether it's in a more uh, uh, substantial way, like trying to improve their emotional state of mind. But uh yeah, I just, uh, no, this, this feeling, this pervasive feeling that there was nothing particularly good about me. And, um, I think, uh, you know, don't, you shouldn't let this feeling get too pervasive, but I, I think the ultimate reckoning with it is that it was true to some degree. You know, no, I'm not a bad person. I don't do anything particularly evil. You know, I've never... You know, I've never committed a crime except for, you know, the small ones, you know, jaywalking, smoking pot when it was illegal. You know, nothing that anyone would be too mad at me for. Um, maybe the smoking pot ones some weirdos would, but either way, man, who are the anti-jaywalking people? There must be anti-jaywalking people. There's some dedicated group of anti-jaywalking people. But I, that's how they feel good. You know, I, I, I think it is... Maybe I'm projecting here. So I won't say most people, but I say if you're anything like me, you are concerned with the idea of being good. Or you are concerned, maybe not a hero, but the idea that there is some sort of moral scales and that simply being neutral is not really good enough on these moral scales. You need to tip the balance in favor of some net positive to the world. Which is, you know, a a fucked up task, right? Because you don't really know the extent of your actions. I mean, that's always the fear, right? You try and do something good, and then due to unforeseen consequences, um, you end up supporting something terrible. Or I think an example of that, or uh, recently where sort of a, I, I wanted to support something, or I did morally support something, but uh, it ended up being the worst possible version of it was the medically-assisted dying in Canada. So I think, I think a lot of people agree that you have a basic right to control your own body. Some people disagree with this. I, I believe in this fundamental axiom. There is, uh, you know, there is nothing more important than control of your own meat, right? Which is why 
uh, prison is such a horrific punishment, or even why the draft is such a huge imposition into one's rights, because it uh, means that your body is no longer your own. It is for use by the state. So, uh... (laughs) I, which is why all of those issues are morally fraught. I mean, sometimes you need a draft. I think you needed a draft for World War. But I, I wouldn't want to be in it. Vietnam was a little much. I think we can all agree the draft for Vietnam was a little much. Uh, but World War II, maybe you needed it. Maybe I would have deserted. Who knows? I like to think I'm a good person. I like to think I'd be like, uh, I'd be, I'd be that like plucky, funny little Jewish guy in the platoon that gets shot immediately. That's how I always pictured my World War II journey. I'm, I'm, hey, hey, old Goldsteins, he's making cartoons in the background. Man, when I get back, when I get back to Brooklyn, I'm going to be a cartoonist. I'm going to do my cartoons for my dames. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be a Will Eisner. I'm going to be like Captain America. I'm going to be like, <laughs> riddled with bullets. <laughs> that, that, that would be me. Um. In another life, maybe that was maybe maybe I'm I was reliving I was I was reincarnated as uh, Arnie Goldstein, the the uh, cartoonist from Brooklyn who was shot in World War Two. That's a new character. That's a new character for everybody. But yeah, yeah, I I am. Uh, the basic idea is that bodily autonomy. Um, if you're if you have some sort of I think if you believe in the axiom of bodily autonomy, chances are you have uh, some sort of uh, tack towards left-wing values. Or I don't know, really, because some like libertarian values can like pay lip service to bodily autonomy, even though I don't think they do, really. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's what it's all about. So from that, we understand that medically-assisted dying, right? Medically-assisted dying. Uh, I, I was in support of that because it flows from a general axiomatic view of bodily autonomy. Um, obviously, I wanted it regulated. I didn't want anyone can kill themselves at any time. I th- of course, that's ludicrous. You know, what if you just have depression? You know, you shouldn't. You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have the means to have the state kill you if you if you have something that is is treatable. But. Of course, in the cases of untreatable terminal illnesses where it's not looking good for you and you're just looking down the barrel of months of pain, you know, of course, assisted dying, right? Of course, for terminal illnesses, you want to assist. I would want that. I wouldn't want to be like if, if cancer was, you know, coming, coming for me. It's like stage four. It's really aggressive. You know, do I want to go through the chemo or, you know, do I just want to you know, get out of there now. I mean, I, I guess there's a chance for a cure, but I, I think about uh, my own options with that. And yeah, I would tack towards the medically assisted dying uh, every time. And other countries have it, but uh, Canada got it as well. And I was like, okay, good. Now people with terminal illnesses will have their due. Uh, and they won't have to do needlessly prolonged suffering, right? And uh, then it got used for the other thing. Yeah, people with uh, treatable illnesses started uh, applying or having it in in the worst case scenarios suggested it to, suggested to them. It's like so you have such major depressive disorder that you can't hold down a job. Have you considered the government killing you? <laughs> and yeah, it's put a whole. I put a whole damper on the thing that on my belief on my my strong belief. Of course, you have terminal illness stemming from the the inherent axiomatic value of bodily autonomy. You get to kill yourself, of course, and then it gets used for the worst thing imaginable. With all the detractors against it, with all the fucking Christians <laughs> said against it, you know, the all of their uh, fears that it would just be. A use a, a, a way to kill the least productive members of our the, the least quote unquote unproductive members of our society. Uh, they were they were proven correct and just uh, sort of is being used as a subtle way to do eugenics again. So that's terrible. Um, and so that that's what I mean is how do you be good, right? That's just one example. 
But that that's that was a really egregious one to me because it was something I really believed in, something that I would want for myself, um, something that corresponds to a very strong axiomatic belief that I have, and to see it come into practice and then get used for the worst immediate. <laughs> Not immediately. It wasn't immediate. It, 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 it was a long time in practice before they started doing, like, the maid for everybody. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know for everybody. If, like, you have incredible chronic pain or something, I'm sure that it's not just terminal illnesses, I should say. If you have, like, one of those, like, uh, incredible pain diseases. But it, it should be used sparingly, of course. You shouldn't. Yeah, there should be some steps before the state gets to kill you. You get to be voluntarily killed by the state. <laughs> there should be steps. It's all I'm saying. Um, so, but I, I think there are some things uh, we know we can be on the right side of history on. Um, or I, I hope that we can be. Or you just have to... If you're supporting it at the time, I don't think you, you can be concerned with things down the line, especially when things are so immediately and evidently bad. Of course, I am still referring to uh, the situation in uh, Gaza. Uh, the Israeli army has killed 10,000 people, thousands and thousands of children. Uh, they have rained white phosphorus down on them. They're trying to do Nakba too. It looks as if there are heavy migrations out, out of Gaza City already. So uh, it's dire. I saw a lot of support. I saw a lot of protests. I saw a lot of um, really impressive people doing like illegal shit. Like, uh, but like cool, cool illegal shit. Uh, like that blockade. Um. Uh, the, of the of the weapons barge <laughs> it wasn't a barge it was a boat but i like to imagine it was just a big barge uh a, a, out of tacoma and see that's the activism when you think of like the struggle to be good or like what is the right thing to do or how can you as yourself just just do something it, it's type of stuff like that you know where you actually putting your body in between where something has to go you disrupt the necessary commerce the the flow and transport of goods that's the thing that actually gets people moving on stuff the problem is that it's illegal so you have to take also take on the risk of uh getting arrested which um you know, I'm not willing to do frequent. I'll I'll straight up admit that. Yeah, I'm not willing to do that stuff because, not because I think it's wrong. Because I'm scared for myself. Because I do have a selfish instinct. I think a lot of people that do that sort of thing either they have access to organizations with legal funds and they organize. I'm not a, a part of these organizations, but I, you know, Godspeed, Godspeed to them. Um, or people that um, do have a strong, I, I, you know, will fully admit, do have a stronger sense of moral right and wrong than I do, and thus are motivated to do actions that may be personally detrimental to themselves, but maybe um, will have some sort of practical effect. Whereas the thing that I do is, you know, I didn't, I didn't even go to uh, any fucking protests. You know, that's how much of an asshole I am. My excuse is my dog had his... This is actually true. My dog had his leg broken and I needed to be with him so he didn't fucking break it again while he was recovering or he gets his wound infected or anything like that. But I still could have made more time. I'm going to... I'm going to one tomorrow. Uh, if that... Uh, that's, that's, the, that's what I'm doing to mitigate. I don't know if it's anything. You know, it's two hours of my time. It's It's nothing. Maybe I'll talk to people maybe i'll uh get more organized get involved but i think there are other things holding me back primarily uh, you know it's just a difficulty part being in crowds but you know this is the type of thing you need to be in crowds for i mean i don't know i don't know if protests i mean they do work to some degree um 
but uh you know you can talk about protests that uh that changed the world or did something and there are many historical examples of that that vincent that vincent bevins fella i heard on chapo the fellow that wrote the jakarta method uh, he wrote he wrote a book about protests that had a material effect on uh the political landscape around them so uh and he was talking about that on one of their episodes so it's not that it can't work it's just that there are certain conditions needed for it to work that you know I, I, and i think chief of which is uh media coverage which uh the, of course you know you want the western media you want all sets of media to pay attention to you if as we're seeing with like unprecedented levels of support for palestine out in london out in every city um you want the media coverage of that but they don't do it because the uh, american media and this is not conspiratorial this is not they are america is allied with israel and CNN and MSNBC, all of them, no matter their political bias, tend to reproduce state lines on stuff. And the state line is we are allied with Israel. You know, sometimes, occasionally, they'll allow on like a tiny bit of, but uh, the message is overwhelmingly clear. The, the, the bias of the American news is towards supporting Israel throughout all of this. Um, and uh, uh, that's uh, so it, it's uh, so, so they're going to ignore all those protests or they have less incentive to give them as much coverage as they do uh, the suppose the, the like uh, uh, things that are less favorable to the that cause. You know, they sort of will focus on the, the stories of uh, of the Israelis killed, but not the many, many, many significantly more Palestinians killed. Because that is always the case, because, you know, we're allied with them, of course. You know, you can't, you can't, can't do propaganda for the other side when you're allied with the one. That's crazy. So you gotta go to other news sources uh, other than mainstream ones, and there's a lot of good ones out there. I mean, I, I, I talked about it a couple episodes ago. How do you suss out which ones are good? And, and at some point, you just have to use intuition. Who sounds smart to you? <laughs> I mean, that's stupid. Like, that's a really stupid way of divining stuff. But it's actually, like, one of the most necessary skills you need to develop is, like, figuring out who sounds smart. Um... <laughs> because if you're if you are not as smart as them or you know you're you're sort of like me you're you're somewhere near average to maybe mildly above average intelligence maybe mildly below average intelligence i don't fucking know but as a result i know where i'm situated on the whole <laughs> smartness spectrum so i need to figure out who is smart who is actually smart and not only who is smart but who is not using their smartness to get one over on me and um how do you do that there's signs i guess but it's um to me the reason why i was always uh, attracted to leftists or left-wing uh speakers or eventually became uh more on to what they were saying is because they always seem to have answers that were more rooted in fact than a lot of uh a lot of right-wing commentators i found a, a lot of right-wing commentators sort of um tended to to spin out a fantastical world or it seemed like they relied a lot more on the emotional quality like it, it was a workup it was it was something that was intended to flatter me or or give me some sort of anger that would give me cause to want to be nationalistic and to want to protect the interests of my... This sort of a... Yeah, I, I always found the, the right-wing commentary, even though it claimed to have a greater purchase on rationality, to appeal to a certain base catastrophizing 
uh, fear of the chaotic uh, liberal world where there are no rules or there's some sort of like queer uh, cyberpunk nightmare or something like that. And I, I guess when when you're when you're gay, you know, or when you're bisexual, like I am bisexual, but when you're some sort of queer and you've never found purchase in the mainstream some part of you wants to you know go back to it it wants to it wants to find solace within being normal or corresponding to the the tropes of normalcy within you know that's where you get homonormativity uh, that's where you get uh, gay couples trying as hard as they can to replicate the hallmarks uh, of success of straight couples of you know raising children and having a house and being active in the pe not that there's anything wrong with you know there's nothing if that's your thing but i think um there is a certain pressure to want to in, in the most extreme example is something like I don't know, Dave Rubin or the Pick Me Gay or Milo Yiannopoulos, you know, they're doing it for the money, but I think they also, there is a perverse incentive in being accepted by the people that would hate the others, you know, being, being the token gay, being the one that is, is, has cracked the code and is uh, part of this social norm normalcy, you know, that's, that's sort of, one of the reasons I would hang out with the bros at law school, they had some sort of passing fascination with me because I was weird. Uh, and I was, you know, I'm queer, but I don't, didn't have a lot, had certain queer trappings, but it was different from the, uh, the queer people they had heard about. So, and I didn't immediately reject them or make them feel uncomfortable. But some days I wish I had. Some days I wish I had to, maybe I would have been a better person if, maybe I could have been a good person if I were less accommodating and more hostile. It's funny how that works sometimes. <laughs> sometimes if you're accommodating to the the wrong people, you can actually be a bad person. So maybe that's a wrong-headed wrong view. Maybe you should always be kind and good or try and win people over or you win more flies with honey or whatnot but sometimes it is good to look someone in the eye in real life and tell them you're not a good person <laughs> i've never done that because i'm polite and glad handing and you know i do believe there is potential in everyone to be good which is why i don't want to alienate them but honestly looking back there's just some people who can't be helped <laughs> that's wrong i shouldn't say that i shouldn't say that. i i mean there are some people who are like man how do you exist you are just you know here to blight people to feel really bad for people like that um but you know in terms of how to be good in terms of this gaza stuff i really do feel like i i should be doing more and they you know i i ask what is required of you as a human to be good and the answer of the tick till this long in the episode to give it i should have given it up front maybe to not tease tension but it's more more is always required of you in order to be good and that is something you just have to take on if you have any hope of being a real adult i think or being a person that is actually functional in this world and not just i don't know some someone who's who is not felt you know whether that you don't have to be famous to be felt but you have to do some stuff with other people your presence has to be you know maybe not maybe you can just be a ghost and float through life and be on your own be a monk and that's perfectly happy but even in the discipline of a monk there is a sense of being felt by you're doing you're isolating yourself so you can be felt by the cosmos or dissolve into them maybe that's the absence of feeling maybe that's why you isolate yourself but we're not all monks you know we're social unless you're tr planning to be a freaking monk 
and you're planning to uh, intentionally dissolve yourself into the universe to escape samsara or whatever, which you're probably not doing if you're a neat. Uh, you gotta, you gotta do something with people. You know, you have to create reverberations of good tidings, which I don't do because I'm afraid of crowds and other people, and I have trouble forming relationships, which I've slowly starting to unlearn. But I, I see them as transactional. But I think that's what you have to do to be really good: is you have to care about other people. You really. You know, not just more, but more you have to really actually care about other people, which is hard. Because for, you know, stuff I mentioned before, people suck. They can mislead you. Stuff you know now could go down the road. They could, uh, could all end up biting you in the ass. But you just always have to take that leap of faith. Uh, especially when you are presented with overwhelming evidence, as I believe that uh, people inured to leftist thought uh, presented me with, just in terms of the bodies on capitalism or what capitalism truly does to this world or what it's ultimately responsible for. Uh, stuff like slavery or the prison system, these current problems uh, that we face that still aren't going away. And I just, even, yeah, in modern day, I, I speak of slavery because, you know, not wage slavery, not even in an abstract sense, but we all know about the 13th Amendment. We all know what America does. And that's, that's part of the, that's part of the system. It's all part of the system. Um, so the fact that that stuff still goes on and, and it is, you know, it is even slavery because, you know, we don't think of wage slavery in like America, maybe not, but, I mean, that, that can, you could actually describe it in some, but around the world in the global South where, you know, kids blow off their hands with blasting caps, digging for cobalt. And so it's, it's like, yeah, there is still, that's not any sort of dignified labor. That's not the sort of thing we imagine, but we sort of profit off that suffering all the time and and we know about that we always subsist with this low level knowledge that we are uh benefiting off of something terrifying but we never get to see it even when you like order an amazon package which i do very frequently because i'm lazy don't want to get stuff myself and i see a little thing on there a little household amenity and i go ooh. I don't care about the labor that's needed to bring this to my door because I can just have it and I can never see the person that does it. I mean, that's what's key is if you never see the person that's doing it. Uh, that's why I think like, uh, you know, beyond the COVID stuff, contactless delivery, people, uh, certain people like it because you never get, have to imagine someone is doing the labor. It, it just all comes to you magically. And uh, living in a capitalist system has a way of making you feel that constantly. Making you feel like it's all just magic. There, There is, I mean, I, it, it's, uh, I, I was reading, uh, I was just uh, browsing on Twitter. There was an old comic, an old Calvin and Hobbes comic where the dad is lying to Calvin. He says the ATM machine works there's a little man in it that that does a little printing and then gives the money and uh you know you think of the the world of automation and how it's replaced a lot of stuff but you know at, at the heart of those little men are just you know the products that come to us every day just is so something as simple as chocolate is, is attached to this unimaginable suffering you know all of these people and these little ATM hovels just, you know, doing this incredibly intricate task for nothing uh, but the appeasement of us here. Honestly, I, I don't think you can be really good if you're if you live in North America, if you uh, if you're middle class in North America, that's it. You know, you've probably uh, you're probably eternally morally bad. <laughs> that's not true. I'm, I'm kidding. But, um, yeah, I think that is really the key is, um, 
you first have to summon some sort of awareness, which is hard because I think you live in a, in a society which tells you that awareness is bad or that questioning the status quo is for assholes. Uh, there's actually, we have our experts. We have our, we have the Will Stansels of the, <laughs> harp on Will Stansel, the most dunked on man on Twitter. But we have the Will Stansels on the world to tell you why the status quo is good, actually. We, they have a bunch of numbers and credentials and they've, they've mastered a form of rhetoric that allows them to sound reasonable while advocating for something that is sort of uh, out of touch, a little beyond reality, in my view. So uh, I was thinking how to be good about Gaza, and you'd, I started off doing charity and using my account to promote it, which I, uh, you, you know, I, I was, but you, later you found out even like a UNRWA, which I was promoting, I find out later the UN's been like sending out expired, <laughs> expired rations to the Palestinians, and they've been like storing food weirdly there's all sorts of uh, difficulties with the un and then you know i see posts from activists which are are now like as much as the charity helps you know as much as the money is like can do something you need what you need to do is uh, actually be organizing seriously and putting pressure on uh political parties and talking to congress people talking to your local representatives if you're in a country that supports israel talking to your federal reference to calling emailing you know not just going to protest but going to protest that actually fuck people's day up in a way that disrupts some sort of activity some sort of daily activity in a way that uh you know not just makes people aware but uh, wants uh, gets them to want their government to do something just because of the inconvenience of having to deal with you, which is uh, a, 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 a fairly, I don't know if it's an effective form of protest. I don't know shit about protests or not. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, these more practical things, these, uh, these things which are, I mean, you should still, I'm, I'm sure there is still room to, give money to various causes and i'm sure that's still needed to some degree but i i believe they're these people are correct when they're they're telling me you know you got to go out there you got to get over your fucking fear of crowds your fear of others your fear of chanting your fear of even being hassled by the goddamn fucking cops you got to get over that shit and just show up somewhere because uh, you can't do this from your fucking room. That's one thing you you should know is you, whatever this is, you can't do it from your fucking room. And I think that's what I have to do because so far I've just been trying to do this shit from my fucking room. And it's not just protests, just like going out and connecting with people or being part of some social group or organization or even, you know being less introverted so I can talk to more people so I can find people who you know maybe are on the fence or who don't know enough about this issue and then talk to them seriously about it maybe uh, you know leaving my bubble of comfort uh, and uh, it's difficult to leave that bubble of comfort because it's very comfortable frankly they've done a great job at uh, giving you enough if you are of some sort of middle class extraction or even if you know even if you're like working a sort of crappy job there are still things that forms of entertainment that will keep you occupied for a long enough time and that will activate your pleasure nodes such that you won't want to actually do the work of going out there and uh making other people's lives better and i know this because that describes me you know i i have you know I, I i would rather frankly be at home playing a stupid video game than having to go out and do anything 
I tack towards laziness. I tack towards selfishness. I think a lot of other people do. I don't, I don't know the percentages on it, but uh, you might be like me and your, your life is an eternal struggle of trying to get over this this sort of weird belief that people are wasting your time <laughs> or that just simply being around others is a waste of time because there's something you'd much rather be doing by yourself especially if you're like me and you draw a lot you have you have a vocation that uh naturally makes you insular i i think uh you can have a hard time doing the necessary work of trying to be good which involves you getting out of your room, being less insular, being less introverted, always. Because you can't make an impact in the world. You can't have vibrations in the world unless you're with other people in a location that is not within your zone of comfort. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. I've been trying to do... I haven't really tried trying to you know i i talk about this and try to raise awareness in some nebulous capacity uh but i really don't think i've been doing as much as i could have been doing and i can chalk that and i think that describes a lot of us as well people who are listening people who care about this issue who are activated on it you know there's more you could be doing but you don't do it because you got your own stuff to worry about. And uh, uh, so something weird happened to me with this Gaza. It's been a month now. And uh, at first it was debilitating. I was just uh, constantly doom scrolling. And uh, I'm sure everyone was that time um and i'm sure people still are because it's still a fucking nightmarish situation that our countries have a hand in and that we are as tax-paying citizens even if you know you don't pay income tax you pay sales tax some portion of your money is always going to this country uh and that gets used to murder people um, and this is true of, you know, Canada, we have vocal support for Israel. We also send aid to Israel. We send arms to Israel. So, you know, it's it, we we have blood on our hands as well. America has a lot more <laughs> compared proportionally. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I know I, I could be doing more, but I, I've just... Uh, first first I, I was debilitated by just the shock of it you know shock Naomi Klein shock doctrine style there was this I can't believe what is happening not just from the Hamas uh, the, the Hamas incursion which seemed inevitable frankly uh, you know I, I think you can only whether you approve of it or not uh, or whether you think it was you know, unjustified or or justified, I think you can sort of agree that if you keep people in a cage long enough and you do terrible things to them for 70 years, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> you know, what, what did you think was... You think people take it lying down? So this historical event happens in the most bizarre way possible with the paragliders at the EDM festival uh, yielding this horrific violence uh, made all the more bizarre by uh, the situation that it was in um, and uh, then the corollary response by Israel and we all know that whatever whatever Israeli casualty is incurred, they return it 10, 20 fold. That's always been their policy. So seeing that in action and uh, having the USA just give a total green light to it and uh, having international law fail, just 
lots of resignations at the UN or at the various human rights organizations uh, where people feel that uh, the inability to get a ceasefire uh, in a more timely manner is just this huge indictment of our scheme of international law, which it is. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so you have this amazing sh sense of shock, at least for the first couple of days of it. You can't really believe what is happening. And, of course, the casualties hadn't mounted yet, and you're arguing on the Internet about all of these lies that uh, Israel, these, these Hasbara lies that Israel pumps out there, and you're sort of flustered as to what to do. And, but then something strange started happening. You know, I, I stopped reveling in the chaos. And, th yeah, this is going to sound fucked up. Because I don't want to suggest that there's any, like, lesson to be learned here. Or that there's any sort of self-improvement thing to be gained from it. But it, it, in sort of a general sense... I started, because I just was thinking about these people all the time, I was thinking about the plight of these people, I, I was thinking about myself less. So, if anyone who's been listening to this, or me doing these sort of monolog-y, uh, uh, self-therapizing, maybe, maybe mildly annoying episodes, you know, I sort of struggle with, intense anxiety and morning nausea and this amazing sense that something bad will happen to me um which i've been having incredible trouble just keeping down all of my adult life and it it you know i i take tums constantly and i'm physically a wreck for like most of the day until i calm down and it's been like really you know i've been looking for stuff to snap me out of it and uh strangely enough just watching people actually suffer not like suffer like i i suffer compared to these people I, my life is so fucking easy compared to these people oh my god which is i think something clicked in me and i stopped feeling nauseous or anxious of fearing what's the worst that could happen or you know fearing the the work and the daily maintenance of life or the pointlessness of it because i realized it was just a gift to live and the fact that israel takes that gift away from people uh in the most visceral and brutal sense uh, is uh, disgusting to me. But because of thinking about these others, I, I'm kind of getting my shit together. Like, I, I'm, I'm organizing, not, not, but I'm, I'm cleaning my apartment, which I haven't done in literal years. I'm, you know, being more conscientious. I'm getting work done on time. I'm writing stuff down. I have more focus because it suddenly seems like i need to get my shit together so that i can more effectively help other people and because my life is not so difficult at least not compared to people that face actual enormous difficulties in a way that i i can't help but bear witness to that I constantly bear witness to because I am at least partially complicit in these people's enormous difficulties. You know, I, I stopped caring about myself as much. I stopped caring about my personal anxiety or what could happen to me as much. Um, and I didn't feel sick anymore in the mornings. I've been able to do more things and think more clearly and it was entirely precipitated by just caring about other people intensely and wanting to do the right thing in a way that I hadn't really done for a while, hadn't really practiced for a while. Um, and uh, 
there's some advice that sometimes you get, which is like, you need to get your shit together first before you can love anyone else or before you can be appreciated in a community. But, uh, and I think I've been guilty of maybe propagating this advice or, or maybe focusing too much on, uh, individualism but yeah the only the the one of the uh, a weird effective way to stop feeling so bad about what could happen is just really confronting about uh, no the the worst thing can't happen you're partially complicit in doing the worst thing to other people so you know you need to you need to do something stop thinking about yourself so much and it worked, to at least temporarily. So I'm trying to be more conscientious. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get stuff organized within my own personal life so that I can go out there and meet more people and invite people over to my place to organize and to talk and to be more social so that I can have more reverberations out in the real world um, where it matters more yeah uh, I guess that's the thing that I know is what is required of you you gotta leave your fucking room <laughs> it's not just more what is required of you more always more and it is good that is more it is good that your responsibility to society you know until you become elderly and totally infirm or whatever but as long as you still have fight within you or as long as you still have the ability to do so you should turn your concern and attention towards the well-being of others um and i'm not saying that i haven't done shit you know as i've said before i haven't done you know I w i'm just thinking about these people but i don't know for some reason it clicked this time it hadn't clicked before not with like the azeris and and the armenians uh, it, uh, uh, that happened before this or, or tigray or or any of those i guess because we're partially fun because we're funding this that's why your attention is turned more towards it or even with russia and ukraine which is a terrible situation and people you know dying and you know i i of, of course you know i I am grateful that I am not getting fucking bombed right now, but I don't know, For I guess it was just the breadth and the gravity of what is occurring too, because it's not just bombing, it's the worst, most excessive, most cruel, nightmarish bombing campaign we've seen in in the 21st century in in such a concentrated short period of time in a month they've dropped an incredible payload of thousands of children killed way more than any other modern conflict uh, in such a short period of time and um so i can't be anxious i can't be thinking of myself i can't be physically you know tricking myself constantly into being physically debilitated because then i can't be good i hope you know maybe uh, this feeling will pass and i'll lapse back into it again but uh i'm gonna try and ride this out and you know i really don't want it to make it sound like like oh just thinking about the suffering of those poor people, oh, that helped me out and I'm doing great, you know, because I think that's what you can take from this. And I really don't mean it that way, but I'm, I'm describing to me what actually happened. Like this weird thought process in my brain, this like weird gate of like thinking about, oh, I'm going to get hit by a fucking car today. I'm going to get, you know, destroyed everything. The, uh, the tax people are coming to me, you know, these these loops of just these these random destructive catastrophizing thoughts that just plagued me constantly and caused endless anxiety you know they're i don't know they're slipping away because of this because of concentrating on this and uh that's uh i want to do it more caring about other people it turns out 
or thinking about turning your attention towards the issues of those less fortunate than you, turns out every religion is correct. <laughs> it turns out, you know, all of those things that people said that you maybe took for granted or didn't take to heart as a kid that you really have to, you want to make, you, you want to make your own life better, really give a shit about other people. You know, fuck yourself, you know, give a shit about others. Like, and, and try and see with clarity who to care about as well. And try and find the smart people who will tell you who to care about as well. And uh, that's what I've been doing, and it's it's been leading me in a direction. I don't think I'm good yet, but I think I sort of had the roadmap to get there, which is uh, a lot more than other people have. And I'm thankful for the people that were able to get me there just through happenstance. People in my life who were concerned with the, the well-being of my soul and willing to argue with me and challenge my preconceived notions such that I might learn more. So yeah, get out and organize. Get out with other people. Leave your room. You can go to protest. There's, I don't know what value there is. Uh, I'm sure it's some. I'm sure just meeting other people and organizing is is, is what's good. But um, whatever you do, um, beyond the donations as well, get out of your fucking room. That's, that is what is required of you.